One topic, two chicks, three points of view. What does it really mean to do time? Police emergency. Life in prison. Keeping people safe is the first duty of government. You can get spies, you can get heroin, you can get crack. It is criminality, pure and simple. I'm facing time. It's not on the hiring, it's common scars. I don't know how long it could be, four years, ten years. There's not one solution. Could be life. Who cares for the men behind these doors? Bird. Welcome to episode one of Bird. I'm Nina. And I'm Kate. And we're here to investigate all things prison and social justice by chatting to ex-cons, prison staff and political lobbyists. And the next thing, uh, I woke up in hospital very, very angry that um, they actually saved me. So that was Dave. He's been serving time on and off for the last 37 years. He's just one of the people we've spoken to to find out what the deal is with self-harm and suicide in our UK prisons. Dave is so passionate about bringing change to the prison system and is keen to support anyone affected. Okay, here's the current state of play. In the 12 months leading up to September 2017, self-harm reached a record high. There were over 42,000 instances of self-harm in that time. This is a 12% increase from the previous year. What's more worrying is the number of incidents requiring hospital attention rose by 15%. That means in over 3,000 of those cases, the injuries were so severe that the injuries could not be treated in the prison. These numbers are the highest they've ever been. The number of people taking their own life in prison has increased by 97% since 2012. In 2016 alone, there were 120 suicides in prison, the highest numbers since records began. Recently released stats by the Ministry of Justice indicate that this number fell in 2017, but numbers were still high. 10 times as many people commit suicide in prison than outside of prison in the UK. That shouldn't be happening. People should at least be safe. Mental health services in prison are provided by NHS England. And right now, our government doesn't know how many people in prison have a mental health problem, how much it's spending on its mental health provision, or whether their objectives are even being met. By any definition, something's not right here. We need to look a little deeper. The pressure is quite intense, oversubscribed and massively underfunded. This is Neil. He's a mental health nurse living and working in Manchester with over 12 years experience in the field. There is a feeling within the establishment that only the seriously mentally unwell prisoners will receive a good level of care and support. That was Catherine. She's currently working in one of the biggest prison establishments in the country. She works for the substance misuse team supporting people with drug and alcohol issues throughout their time in prison. Here she is telling us what it's like when a new prisoner first arrives into custody. So when prisoners arrive in custody, they're given a screening by nurses um, on reception um, who ask them a number of questions concerning their physical and mental health. Um, so they're asked, like, for example, whether they've had any suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm and whether or not they've ever had um, issues 
like that in the past. A prisoner is asked around 50 personal health questions by a non-mental health professional who also has no access to their previous GP records. So they'll be asked if they suffer with any mental health issues, if they have a diagnosis, and whether or not they've got prescribed medication for their mental health. Um, and additionally to that, they will be asked if they have ever stayed in a psychiatric care, um, if they've been sectioned, um, things like that. This data is analysed. However, it has been found that staff leave some questions unanswered. The most recent analysis shows that data was not entered in the risk of suicide question in 68% of screening records, and in the risk of self-harm question, 59% of records were unanswered. So imagine being confused, scared and surrounded by strangers. It doesn't seem like the ideal situation to be really opening up about mental health, especially with the stigma surrounding it. Dave tells us how he felt on that first night. I never forget it. I will never ever forget that first night in prison. Um, it was quite an experience to behold. Uh, yeah, I, and um, I, I, I'm tingling now just thinking about it. Those first few days in custody are extremely high risk. In 2017, 14% of all prison suicides occurred in the first week of someone being in custody, and a staggering 27% occurred within the first 30 days. It's clear that the first time for Dave, and so many others, had a big impact. Imagine feeling like that, and all that nurse has to go off is your body language and behaviour, right there and right then. Isn't it obvious why things slip through the net? So what are the options from here? From that point, they can be referred on to the mental health team, or an act can be opened if the person doing it deems it necessary to do so. This could be something as simple as a prisoner feeling low in mood, expressing that they want to hurt themselves, or even having already self-harmed. The prisoner should have an ACT assessment within 24 hours of a concern being raised. They will talk with a trained professional about what is going on for them and what support they need, and how this can be implemented. This will all be recorded in the Act. After this, a level of observations will be set. This will define how often a prisoner should be checked on to see that they are alive and that they have not self-harmed. The prisoner will then have regular reviews to see how they're feeling and whether the right support has been put in place. But are Acts useful? Can a paper document really prevent people from harming themselves? Um, it is an effective tool where you can monitor and manage prisoners with thoughts of self-harm or suicide or um, those who have committed an act of self-harm in the past or who might do in the future. Um, and when you have good act reviews, um, they'll be containing a wide range of different professionals um, concerned um, sort of in the care of that prisoner and um, decisions can be made sort of collectively as a group about what further support is required. Um, so that's usually, you know, with an exchange between the prisoner and the professionals. Um, the prisoner should always be central to the review and there should always be, you know, every opportunity should be made to include him 
or her um, in every decision made. It's kind of nipping it in the bud, reading between the lines with patients. Also in engaging with the patients, having, having time for them, having more empathy and understanding. However, people on an ACTS document can still end up taking their own life. Dave shares his story. After Christmas, um, there was another guy, Martin, that I was, I was working quite closely with. Uh, there, was a, there was a couple of us that were looking after him, and he took his own life. After every death in custody, there was an inquest in court. This is an independent and thorough investigation to examine the circumstances of the death to see if there were any failings on behalf of the prison. The process will identify if any person or factor may have contributed towards the death of the prisoner. In his capacity as a listener, Dave attended the coroner's court to give evidence after Martin's death. We'll talk more about listeners later. Dave revealed that Martin's act was not completed accurately in the lead up towards Martin taking his own life. It wasn't filled out correctly and nor were the timings on it correct and nor were the actual, even though it was incorrect, even the timings that were incorrect weren't being done correctly. <laughs> So basically, it was a messed up report. It wasn't. It wasn't correct anywhere. I'm surprised they got his freaking name right. There's lots of reasons why the quality of an acts document might be lower than it should be. Prisoners sometimes misuse act documents by manipulating the process um, when they're seeking certain things, such as referrals, tobacco, or transfers. You can see why officers might not take some of these ACT documents seriously. The numbers show that staffing in prison has been reduced dramatically. I've seen with first-hand experience how overstretched it can be, and it can be very unsafe for both staff and patients at times. I said, I'm on an ACT. I said, this is the first time you've been around all night. There are about 7,000 fewer prison officers now than there were in 2010. This fall followed on from the 2010 spending review, which reduced funding for the Ministry of Justice. There was also a surge in officers leaving the service in 2013, when the prison service offered voluntary early exit packages for staff. The night staff in prison do not give a shit. The only ones that seem to care are your day staff. Don't get me wrong, you do get some night staff that are half decent, but most of them have been in the job 30, 30, 40, 50 years, are so long in the tooth and disgruntled and cynical against the whole system anyway, it's hard work in there to, to, to get anything done. With acts, they don't, they don't take them seriously. This is a really serious document. This is about someone's life. If you don't do this correctly, and then just leave it there, that's it, nothing will happen. But largely speaking, ACT documents are usually opened and remain open on genuinely vulnerable prisoners. The reality is there's often not enough time to fill out the ACTs to the exact level of detail needed when running on an already stretched regime. Despite the government's plans to recruit an additional 2,500 officers by the end of 2018, Two recruitment drives are not enough to quash the negative press surrounding prisons and uptake remains slow. The issue of prison officer recruitment remains critical, with a net increase in the number of prison officers in 2016-17 of just 75. 
Let's discuss what other support is open to you if you're suffering mentally inside. What options are available to you if you want to feel better and seek help? Remember the listener scheme we mentioned earlier? Nearly every prison in England, Scotland and Wales has the listener scheme. It was introduced in 1991 and is a peer support service aiming to reduce self-harm and suicide amongst prisoners. Samaritans volunteers come into the prison to train and support prisoners to counsel each other. These listens take place in private and there is a confidentiality agreement between the listener and the person they are supporting. Neil thinks this is beneficial and there should be more of a focus on talking therapies in prison. And we think that medication will improve everything now, especially with self-harm and personality issues, which are very, very current at the minute in both settings. Psychology input is invaluable and we need a lot more, a lot more money input and a lot more people to be trained to deal with, with the patient. As you know, Dave was a listener and really rated the listener scheme. He loved his role and wanted to shout out to all the listeners out there. We asked him what kind of things people would talk to him about. The main one, the main, 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 main one, really, which is, if you like, um, the catalyst for all the others, is the isolation in the cell um, at night when you're alone. Um, it, as I say, there's, there's no, there's no silence than the prison silence. It's, it's a strange thing to explain. It's something you have to experience. You can't explain it. Um, so. Uh, and you can hear your, you, you can hear your, your own pulse. That's that's what we're, that's how silent we're talking. So, when you're getting into that situation, if you've got things going on in your mind, they are escalated 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 fold. Um, you, your, your rational brain seems to fall asleep before your irrational brain, uh, brain does, and before your body does, and your rational brain takes over, and this is happening, that's happening, someone's talking about it, the paranoia kicks in, you, you start becoming scared, you, you, start, you start thinking you're losing control, um, and that is when, primarily, people get on the buzzer and they will call a listener, that's yeah. at that point. Prisoners who spend so long um, locked up behind their doors in their cells must have some sort of impact um, on their mental health and, you know, maybe exacerbate some conditions. One of the bigger things as well that comes through with the listeners is um, obviously it's been away from family. If, if you made a, a, arrangements to make a phone call and you can't, and I've, I've started noticing that when that happens, people on the outside are questioning, who else is he phoning, who else is he writing to, why ain't I got any letters? And that's exactly what it's like on the inside when no one don't answer the phone, who else are they speaking to, who else are they phoning? So it goes on on both sides of the fence, it's exactly the same way, but neither party knows that, because neither party tells each other, and they keep it from each other. There's loads of reasons why self-harm and suicide are on the increase, some more obvious than others. What else do our guests think contribute? I would imagine that some of the rise in self-harm can be attributed to a lack of resources and staff um, in prisons, and that also impacts on the amount of time prisoners are allowed out of their cells and whether they can access activities and things like that. There are many contributors 
to self-harm within the prison sector. One of the main ones can be loneliness. Prison is a lonely place and people spend a lot of time on their own with a lot of their different thoughts. If there's a lack of engagement with the mental health team and also a poor standard of engagement or understanding of mental health issues um, on, 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 you know, on the staff side of things, it can make things worse for prisoners. Um, there's a lot of prisoners with a range of issues such as substance issues, mental health, physical health issues that may be more prone to self-harm due to having to try and overcome a wide range of problems um, whilst in custody. The experience as a listener can also take its toll. Dave explains how a number of deaths in custody of guys he'd been working with affected him. It just appeared to be just a huge downward spiral after that. Um, I was suspended from my job in reception. Um, someone had put in information about me selling mobile phones and things like that, um, which was all false allegations, but unfortunately in prison, once you get a security file, you got a security file. So I, I got put on GOAD, which is um, long sort of, if you like, uh, it's cellular confinement. It means you spend a lot more time in your, in your cell than what you normally would. Um, it, it's no different to being down a segregation unit. Uh, so, so I've gone from being sort of working 18-hour days to, to being banged up for 23 and a half hour days. I had a lot of thoughts going in my mind. Um, and I had a, a non-compassionate partner um, who we basically had split up on the phone. Um, I thought she had been with somebody else, so there was that on top of it. And I just sat in my cell one night. I was I was in single cell, and it just I just thought I'd be better off out the way. And and that um, in, in fact it was quite a strange experience because I got to the point where I was quite relaxed that I was going to actually take my own life. Um, there was no panic taking the tablets. I took an overdose. There was no pa uh, panic at all in taking the tablets. I felt as if what I was doing was the right thing. Um, and, and that's something that people need to learn from that as well. When, when someone's in one of those situations, um, to use uh, emotional blackmail, to use emotional blackmail on someone like that in one of those situations can be very counterproductive because by the time you've got to that point, by the time you're at the point where you've decided, yep, I'm taking my own life, you've gone through every single possibility and you're starting to then believe, like I've just said, that you get to a position where you just think people are better off without you, that um, that everyone's lives, obviously it's selfish, yeah, and it, it, it's not true, but you try telling that, uh, trying to have a, a rational conversation with someone who's decided, and I mean decided, really decided, not not as a as a um, a cry for help, but to want it dead. They just done. That's it. I'm out. I don't. I don't I've had enough now. I don't, I don't want to wake up. Um, and um, so yeah. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, fortunately now, unfortunately at the time, um, my neighbour who. We used to talk through the pipe, which is you have a heater that runs at the back of your cell that runs through all the cells, um, and people talk through there because they've got gaps in there and you can sort of pass like a lighter or Rizzler or tobacco or something through. Um, so we normally chat through there, and this night I hadn't, and it got to around about 20 to 10, quarter to 10. He, he, he was getting worried um, that he hadn't heard from me, so he got on the bell just to make sure that I was all right, and the staff come down and I was collapsed on the floor. 
Um, and the next thing, uh, I woke up in the hospital very, very angry that um, they actually saved me. This goes to show that under the circumstances, anyone's mental health can be affected in prison. Something needs to be done. But what? Okay, so we've heard about what the current situation is in our prisons. We know they are in crisis and men and women are dying. What can we do to make this situation better? What way forward is there? Clearly we know there is a need for more staff, but what can we do to improve now? Firstly, let's look at training. There should be a more in-depth and longer training um, for supervising officers conducting actual reviews so that they've got a better idea of the best sorts of questions to ask to get to the root of the problem and to be able to do so in an empathetic way. Um, for example, training on when to open an act and why it should be open should be more detailed and thorough. Um, and staff should be given regular refreshers on all aspects of act documents um, so that they can carry out their duties effectively. No, there should be, I think there should be specialised training. So no wonder there's a lot of self-harm issues going on. No wonder there's a lot of suicides that are going on. No wonder there's a lot of assaults going on on the other side of the coin because they're not prepared for what's coming through the doors. Neil also wants to see a different type of training being offered which could benefit prisoners. The training that should be offered throughout the prison service in mental health can be safe self-harm training. So for people that will chronically self-harm and they will do this and some people will never stop. So they need to be taught how to use the, the method safely, how to look after themselves, how to not get infection. I'm a great believer in self-harm policies and I think in the future we would use these more. Dave's on board with the idea of promoting safe self-harm. It's basically a clean environment, an empty cell that's been medically cleaned and, and, and sterilised, where someone can go in comfort. The only reason why they're alive is because they self-harm. But allow them an opportunity where they can do it with no stigma, they can do it where it's clean. Again, it comes down to training the um, and staff um, in respect of if you've got a guy that's self-harming and you take away all his equipment, what's he left with? He's left with nothing but despair and, and, and no release of his pain or his anger or his hurt. So there's a possibility it could move on to the next stage, which is trying to take, trying to take his own life. It sounds like a forward-thinking idea. This isn't about encouraging self-harm, but more about understanding that for some people, self-harm is a way of coping with their emotions. It may seem confusing, but if people feel the need to do it anyway, it is better to be safe and keep damage to a minimum whilst you self-harm. Would we like to see this being used in our prisons? Let us know. We've touched upon how important family connections are and how stress and worry over this can be a contributing factor. So if family members can become involved somehow in the person's sentence, um, then I believe that a lot of mental health issues or a lot of new mental health issues if you like will be abated. So how can we get the family more involved in someone's sentence? There have been suggestions of making it a legal obligation that the relatives of a suicidal prisoner should be informed of and invited to contribute to their rap reviews unless there is a reason that why this should not be the case. For example, 
if they were, were a victim of the offence. Do we think this is a way forward? Another great idea comes from HMP Park. They've brought in an amazing scheme earlier this year where school parents' evenings are being held at the prison. Teachers come into prison and discuss with fathers how their children are doing in school. The aim is to improve fathers' relationships with their children and strengthen the family bonds. This would also increase understanding by schools for the difficulties people face when a parent is behind bars. Great forward thinking again. Would we want to see this rolled out across more prisons? So we think we need to mention accountability. What is happening after the inquest into deaths in custody? Lessons will be learned. It's as if they can do whatever they like, as long as they say, sorry, lessons will be learned. But why has there not been progress made despite saying lessons will be learned? It seems that the lack of an independent oversight mechanism to oversee the implementation of recommendations made following a self-inflicted death in prison means that currently lessons are not learned and opportunities to save lives in the future are not taken. We'll pretend we're fixing it, but we won't do anything about it until we start turning around saying, do you know what, actually, it is their fault. We want answers. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change, and that's quite sad. NHS England's monitoring of its contracts, which provide the mental health services in prisons, is weak. NHS England does not measure the quality of mental health care delivered by private providers, or the outcomes these services achieve. So if one of those providers have been found to have contributed to a death in custody, there is no information available to tell us what NHS England have done in response to this. There are no stats on how many cases there have been where providers' failure to provide adequate mental health service has contributed to an individual taking their own life. How are lessons being learnt here? Clearly there are many lessons to be learnt, and not just learnt, but acted upon. We need to treat people like human beings. Let's reduce the stigma around mental health and encourage people to talk. Build people up. Listen to them. Talk to them. It's about working with what you've got and you're giving them confidence. You start giving them self-esteem. They start feeling a member of society. And there needs to be a shift in the culture of how offenders with such needs are treated. People spend a lot of time on their own with a lot of their different thoughts. Ensure that people know that this, this is okay to talk about. Some good suggestions from our guests. Have you got any more? You can let us know on Twitter. It's clear that the answer is not a simple one, but a combination of factors which will improve the lives of the people in prison. A huge thank you to Dave, Catherine and Neil for taking their time to contribute towards this episode, and we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Thanks to the Leaf Library for the music today, and shout out to Lewis Young for production support. Join in on Twitter at Bird Podcast. Send us comments, feedback, suggestions for the next podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with our main guest Dave, you can find him on his Facebook group, DRB Support. See you next time on Bird.